Bonjour. I'm Terence Galenter, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live from Café Terence in Paris's 3e arrondissement. Today and every Saturday, I will be joined by colleagues to discuss books, movies, and song. And at the finale of every broadcast, I will sing a selection from the American Songbook. And good morning, and, and I want to welcome my guest, Harriet Velti Rochefort. Uh, Harriet, uh, good morning. Hi, Terrence. And uh, Harriet has a, a, a brand new book out after a lapse of maybe 30 years oh, called no. Final, <laughs> Final Transgression. Uh, you may remember her as the author of French Fried, French Toast, and Joie de Vivre. Um, Harriet, you were born in the far southwest corner of uh, Iowa in a, in a town called Shenandoah, which I, I don't understand why. I associate ah. that somewhere like with Virginia. Um, ah. And you were, uh, you were not a classmate of, but you grew up with the Everly Brothers. Absolutely. The, the other famous people from that town. Right. Well, listen, let me tell you about uh, Shenandoah. First of all, it's an Indian name, and it means daughter of the stars. How perfect. Yeah, isn't that pretty? And there were a lot of Indian names in our area because, of course, they, they were the Native Americans were Native and they were there first. So we had, a you know, a lot of uh, names like that. And then uh, as far as where it was, uh, it was tucked into a corner where we had Missouri on the bottom of us and Nebraska on the side of us. Yeah, I think, as I said, you could probably take a baseball and toss it from your house into Nebraska. Absolutely. And that was, you know, when we wanted to go to the big city, where did we go? We went to Omaha, Nebraska. Ah. That was about as big as you could get. <laughs> well, I remember a conversation we had, my God, it's uh, it's got to be close to 15 years ago, uh, maybe longer, uh, around French uh, French fried. And it seems that uh, before, long before you decided to come to Paris, when you were still a child, mm -hmm. there was a, a lady, uh, somewhat like the lady in the bridges of Madison County, who uh, I believe ran a little French restaurant in, in oh, Shenandoah. Oh, yes. She yeah, was, talk about her and her influence on you. And Right. And listen, she was a family friend, and uh, her name was Micheline uh, Simonel, and her family uh, lived in La Havre, but uh, La Havre was totally bombed, and the, in any case, the Germans had requisitioned her beautiful home where she lived with, you know, they had a nanny, and it was very upper-class kind of thing. And so um, she met a French soldier, and where did he take her? He took her to Missouri, and <laughs> if you can imagine. And she worked in a, you know, like on a chicken farm, sorting eggs and stuff. And then she came to Shenandoah, and her, they brought she brought over her parents. Oh. Are we on there still? I wouldn't know. We're, uh, we're good. Okay. And uh, and so she brought over her parents, and they they started this French restaurant in our town uh, where she had moved. And uh, well, let's let's put things in context. There were what maybe five thousand people in Shenandoah. Yes, absolutely. This is, we're talking a town of five thousand people and one Main Street. Okay, so their restaurant was on Main Street, and uh, my dad wanted to patronize the restaurant and help help them out. So we, we would go there, and it was a true, authentic French restaurant, you know, with the red and white checked uh, tablecloths, with the antiques she'd been able to save and bring over. Um, and I was fascinated. I loved Micheline, and I loved her mother and father. 
And that was just, for me, what was I going to do in life? I was going to go to France, that's all. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering, who who patronized the restaurant? I mean, how popular was it? Oh, it was very popular. Everybody went. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, we didn't care. We were happy to have some nice people. And we had a lot of refugees in our town. Uh, don't ask me why. It must have been some church. I was going to ask you why. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been uh, some of the, the churches, because for a town of 5,000 people, we had about 23 churches. And uh, uh, they brought over refugees. And we, we had a Latvian to stay with us, um, Edith, a Latvian. And everybody had a, you know had refugees. My art teacher when I was little was Franz Krovanik, who was Czech, Czech, Czechoslovakian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere, but we were still hooked to the world through, you know, through, uh, through the, through the war, ironically. And did you, did you begin to speak a little bit of French at that point? Not really. Not really. Um, I learned it later on. I learned it in, you know, I took two years of high school and then being lazy, uh, when I got to university, I, you know, how you can pass out of the language requirement. I said, ah. Well, it's, in America, it's a requirement. It's kind of like taking cod liver oil. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, one, no one enjoys it when they have to take it. Right. So I got to the University of Michigan, and I took this test, and they deemed that I didn't need to take it anymore. So I didn't. <laughs> and so then I, I went to Montreal. I learned more in Montreal. And then I came to, to what, were you, what were you doing in Montreal? Oh, uh, well, I, I've always been kind of uh, someone who wants to go somewhere else, you know. So uh, I always dreamed of going somewhere else after Shenandoah, Iowa, and after university. So when I graduated from university, um, I, uh, I went to uh, Montreal because there was a, a French language course there in the summer. So I went there, and then I went from there, uh, after doing my duty as, you know, learning French again, I went to Mexico. Ah, we did. Yeah, I went to Mexico, but I mean, I didn't go to Mexico the way, you know, you go when you're a respectable young girl and you go with a college program. I went all by myself, and I ended up in a, uh, not, it wasn't Cuernavaca, although I spent time in Cuernavaca. I went to Acapulco, and I stayed in this place. I mean, talk about flea bitten. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, they were like, I was, I was cowering on my bed because there were cockroaches on the floor. <laughs> Cucaracha. Cucaracha. <laughs> at the time, did you, did you speak some Spanish? Yeah, I did at that time. Okay. At that time. I've forgotten everything since, but I did that. Uh, it's corrupted and, by your French. Pardon me? It's corrupted by your French. Yeah. The same thing happens to me. Yeah, no, it's terrible. You speak really good Spanish, but I didn't. I didn't make it. <laughs> I didn't make the grade. But um, so then I took I took a freighter from Veracruz to Cadiz uh, after that. And then Sounds I like went a movie, to Harriet. Morocco. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> up. Uh-huh. Up to uh, up through Spain, up to France. Took a look. I'd been there before. I took one look and I went, ah, I think I'll go. To- and this is this is before you went to J school at Northwestern. This is. No, I'm sorry. It was before. It yeah, was yeah. Before. yeah. Be- between uh, Ann Arbor and uh, and Evanston. Yeah, yeah. It's been so long. Mixing. So, um, what was the motivation to become a journalist? Uh, I, you know, I come from a family where everybody, you know, we had a lot of books, and everybody loved to write, and uh, um, it was just something I, I always wanted to do was was to write, and I I was 
reporter on our school and our school had a um, page in the weekly paper of the town. So we had our own full page. Oh, the town of Evanston. Mm -hmm. Of the town. No, sorry. The town of Shenandoah. Oh, Shenandoah. Okay. High school. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so we had our own page. I mean, it was very prestigious. And so I got my byline, you know, everybody in town read what I wrote, you know, and uh, I just got the bug. Well, yeah. I mean, after that, how can you keep them down on the farm when you see your name in, uh, in in sixteen point type? Man, that was the <laughs> life. <laughs> so after you after you finished uh, J school at a, a relatively prestigious operation in uh, Northwestern, uh, you arrived in Paris in nineteen seventy one, but uh, permanently. But uh, had you thought about had you been here before that? Oh yes, I'd been there. I'd been in Paris before that. I came all by myself, you know, on the on the freighter, and I I uh, came. I was here in 1968 during the riots, oh, the May riots, yeah, yeah. Forrest Gump, you know, I'm like <laughs> always. <laughs> where, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Forrest Gump or uh, or Zelig actually would be probably yeah. a, a better <laughs> connection. Uh, and, and when did you uh, decide to come permanently? Um. Well, that was nineteen seven. Uh, uh, that was nineteen seventy one when mm-hmm. I came, uh, and I wasn't going to stay permanently. As I said, I was I was going to go to Argentina. Ah. That was my my next uh, fantasy, mm-hmm. and I was really on my way out of France. And I happened to meet Philippe. <laughs> How did you meet Philippe? Well, it was through a mutual friend. And the the joke in the family is that actually the truth is it was a boyfriend trying to get rid of me, and he was a friend of Philippe's. <laughs> so he introduced me to Philippe. And I, my God, that's uh, almost 50 years. God bless. Yeah, we're going to celebrate our 50th year of marriage pretty soon. In- well, you know, in your, uh, in your, in your first book, uh, French Fried. Uh, <laughs> French Toast. Well, you yeah. were somewhat fried, as it were. Uh, apparently, uh, Micheline taught you nothing about cooking because it seemed that you had to learn. Oh, man. I was kids. I was just not interested, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I had to learn. So you I learned from Philippe, from Philippe's mother? Uh... Yeah, I learned from both Philippe and his mother. His, his mother and his sister and his aunts and everyone in that family are fabulous. They love entertaining. So I learned... And, uh, you know, just going in the kitchen and watching what they were doing. And uh, it was that education you could have. I didn't have to pay for fancy cooking courses. I just, uh, you know, soaked it up. And so you, you learned a lot about Paris, obviously, uh, through Philippe. Yes, absolutely. Everything I've learned Paris, I think I've learned through Philippe. I'll talk a little bit about the, the, the differences in the Paris. You and, I arrived for the first time in 1974, so although I didn't yeah. stay at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, from what you what you experienced then, and what you see now, and particularly since you've really not been a tourist, you've been uh, you've been here forever. Uh, so how how has your life changed in these last? Oh my God, I keep saying fifty years, but I I forget I'm old too. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> time passes. Time passes. Uh, what do I find different? Well, for one thing, I think the difference in when you come like uh, we did when when. I mean, some almost years have passed, and anywhere we've changed. But Paris, uh, I think, I don't know about you, but I mean, I had all my rose-colored glasses and my, you know, my illusions, and it was just like living in a, in a, on a film set or something. And then uh, the years passed, and then it became the place I lived, 
right. you know, like the place I would live in the States in a way, uh, bringing up, you know, things that you do. So, um, but how has it changed now? You know, as lively and gay as they used to be, but maybe I'm wrong. It's know? not or it is? Uh, I, it's not. I, I think people seem to be, you know, kind of complaining a lot and unhappy, but not happy enough on the other hand. I don't know. That's just an impression I get. But. Yeah, see, for me, I mean, it was not a, a coup de foudre. I, you know, I was 25. I, I had to go to Paris and be Hemingway before I died, and I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the real love affair came much later as an adult when I came back, and I realized that this is, uh, I felt chez moi. And, yes, and exactly. Even then, I didn't feel shame. One America got uh, a horrible thought about living there today. But uh, oh all, all that being said, um, this is just a wonderfully civilized place to be. Uh, yes. Now let's talk a little bit. I want to jump ahead because uh, French toast and and later joie de vivre were evolutions uh-huh. of your experiences here. And as you begin to uh, understand the culture, uh, how it affected you. Uh, how it affected exactly. people. I know when I read the first one, uh, I was in the beginning of thinking about coming here. It took a while before oh. that registered. And right. <clears throat> the uh, adaptation. And I know, you know, our mutual friend Diane Johnson who had written uh, Le Divorce had spawned. Right. I always tell her she's responsible for lots of bad books, uh, not yours. But, uh, oh, my. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you know, uh, there was an outbreak of those books. Oh, yeah, it's, it's her fault. She refuses yeah, to accept, accept victimization. <laughs> but uh, at that point, I was so much about learning about what this experience was. But now you talk about something much more serious. Uh, and, you know, as, as a journalist of Final Transgression, a title of your yes. book, which is, uh, I think, just hit the bookstores. Uh, That's right. It would be available in the United States uh, through that company that begins with an A and ends with an N that we won't mention oh, on air, mention, and available <laughs> he, here in Paris at the Red Wheelbarrow, right across uh-huh. from the uh, uh, the Luxembourg Gardens. And right. Penelope has books coming, and she'd be delighted to uh, sell you a copy. But we're, we're talking about the uh, the Second World War. First of all, I have to say uh, chapeau. Uh, you have a list of blurbs from anyone and everyone who's ever written authoritatively about the subject, uh, beginning with uh, Robert O. Paxton, who begins every conversation uh, any intelligent person has on this subject, our, our mutual friend Alan Riding, uh, our, our good friend Martin Walker, which will segue us into the experience in the Dordogne, among others. So the f- first question is, uh, tell us a little bit about the book without revealing any spoilers and then let's talk about its its origin and its gestation. It's important not to reveal the spoilers because hmm, the you know it leads up to a kind of shocking end, and I don't want the, no no no. That. But yeah, but it's basically uh, you know in a nutshell, it's about a young girl uh, who grows up in a modest family in the Perigord, uh, and she's kind of uh, taken under the wing of the countess of the local chateau, and the countess. Uh, you know, gives her piano lessons and teaches her how to live in high society, etc. And then, um, then she moves to Paris to get jobs as concierge in a nice arrondissement of Paris. And she meets uh, the son of one of the owners. They're very wealthy. She marries this wealthy guy. Um, in World War II, he becomes a collaborationist. Uh, but, I mean, that's almost beside the point because the reason she leaves him is not because he's collaborationist it's because uh, he betrays her 
and she finds out, and it's a very shocking thing that she finds out, and she is just totally <gasps> deceived, and you know, so she goes back to her hometown, uh, to the chateau and the warmth of her mentor, and for her, this is going to be the escape, and it's going to be going back to security, etc. Except the war is on, and things have changed radically, and so in the whole last part of the book. Uh, things will happen to her, but she, she, she doesn't, she's not a resistant and she's not a collaborator. She's just this, uh, she's not Jewish. She's this kind of ordinary woman but who gets swept up in events and who herself makes a, a mistake that's going to be extremely, extremely, uh, well, it will, let's put it this way, that will see her destiny. Well, you, uh, you indicate that, uh, <clears throat> in the preface of the book that you really knew very little about the, the period. And I suspect that the people I mentioned uh, were sources for you in developing uh, the story and, and the reality of the story. Well, I knew, I knew one thing, but, uh, but not very much about the end of the war in France. And I did a lot of reading and research. I went to Perigord many times. Um, and then also I, I, did I mention? I mentioned this was inspired from a true story. Right? Well, that was my next question. Yes, something in, without getting into details. Uh, something in Philip's family, and this occurred in the Perigord. The, yes, his experience. It, yeah, that the experience of the main character who was modeled on or inspired from the relative uh, mm -hmm. that happened absolutely at the Perigord. And did you uh, did you know this person? If you had, if, I did not. She she had died. You know. Oh, I, I shouldn't reveal. No, 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 well, no without revealing anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, no, I didn't know. And how did how did that come up in conversation with Philippe? How did it just? The question. Uh, the, the the. Hello. With something new, it's interesting. Okay, hang on one second. I feel like I'm losing it. Uh, Speak a little louder, please, or into the microphone. Okay. Is this better? Yeah, that's better. Yes. Okay. You know how when you're in a conversation and people don't speak about something, uh, it, it's you always are intrigued. Yeah, the Can things you unsaid, you kind of feel the a little unsaid. tension. And, I, I, and I'm especially sensitive to that, maybe being a journalist. I don't know. I always, you know, my ears kind of perk up. So I, I, then I learned about this event in the family that nobody talked about, and I was absolutely fascinated. And so I decided to go look into it a little bit more deeply and to research it. Um, so I did, and I found out some. I found out some factual things. I would never find. I didn't find out enough to, uh, you know, reconstitute what exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. But then I let my imagination take hold of what could have happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, was that, you know, the French to this day uh, are, are very reluctant to discuss it and feel a certain sense of uh, of shame. Uh, you know, it's been a, a, when Paxton's book came out, I remember interviewing Jean-Paul Rapneau, who had done a book called Bon Voyage about the, uh, uh, the armistice and all these people gathering in, in Bordeaux. And, uh, and Rapinoe had mentioned to me that when it came to that subject, Paxton was the authority. Um, and that, that and, and then uh, uh, Le Chagrin and Le Pitié, The Sorrow and the Pity by yes. Ophuls, which had been uh, promoted by uh, François Truffaut. And this is in the early yeah. 70s. But prior to that, uh, everyone was a résistant. So I'm wondering, uh, within the family, 
when you started your, your research, if this created any uh, negative repercussions? Uh, no, because I didn't tell him I was researching. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> there were no negative feelings because nobody knew what I was doing. <laughs> and then when the, when the cat came out of the bag? Pardon me? When the cat got out of the bag, are yeah, you still right. persona grata in the family? Well, no, no. The thing is, my No, my you're not? No, no, no. My mother-in-law, I never would have published this had my mother-in-law still a bit alive. <laughs> really, uh, yeah. because I didn't want to hurt her her feelings or sure. make her feel that, you know. So I, I waited, and then I did tell when I was far advanced in the story. I did tell people and that counted in the family, the, the few people left. You know, I mean, starting starting with Philippe, was Philippe aware of all this? Oh, Philippe was not only aware; he he urged me on. He okay. said, "No, let let's look into this." Yeah, he was a collaborator, as one he was should, a collaborator. should not say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was fascinated by this. And, uh, and you know, you were talking about the resistance, and I think uh, people uh, have this idea that there was this one global block of of you know a end, but there was Harry Gore, for example. Mm -hmm. That's what I kind of show in the book. There were the communist resistance, and there were the resistance who followed the goal, and there were people who were faux resistant, who said that they were, but they really were doing it for other reasons. So there was a whole mixture of people, you know, running around, uh, and it was very confused, the situation, and there was a lot of tension going on among all these groups. It's more complicated than it seems to be seen from afar. Well, everything is. I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah, like the Nazis. We, we look at things in black and white, and as we get older, we, we see the gray areas. You know, uh, exactly. Martin Walker, who's a, a very dear friend of mine, uh, when we do this little uh, trip to the Perigord that I do twice a year with about a half a dozen uh, people who stayed at French Chateau in uh, Montflancan, he takes us to a spot where the uh, resistance, and particularly Malraux, were were gathered uh, to thwart the Das Reich division that was mm -hmm. on its way to uh, on, on its way to Normandy and would have been uh, very very effective in forestalling some of the activity post landing. Uh, yes. And he refers to the uh, to the to the Orador sur Glen and uh, and you had the uh, opportunity I'm... to interview Jean Marcel uh, Darto. Talk about that yeah. ugly experience and I, I guess how it affected. Uh, the people in the Perigord, uh, uh, apart from the obvious. Yeah, Orador. Yeah, Orador, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, that that experience... Uh, well, let's, let's explain it first, and then let's talk yeah. about it. Okay, well, Orador, Orador that, that was perfect. It was a, the massacre of uh, an entire village of all the people, except six people who survived, in a, a small village about... 40 people and only six survived because the the Nazis, this Das Reich uh, division was moving up, uh, moving its troops up towards Normandy. And they, uh, there was a lot of resistance area as a, a resistance activity, as I said, in that area. And they decided they were going to, you know, do something that was going to show everybody that it was just not a good idea to be resistant. And so they went into that village on June 10th. That's Four days after the D-Day landing, July, and, yeah, June tenth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, right. And they, uh, this Mr. Dartou told me this. They, he was, he was there, and you know, they separated. He the was men there and the as women. a child. What was his? What was he doing there? He was about, I think he was about thirteen years old mm -hmm. or so, and he told me the whole story. I mean, you know, it's been, it's been written, but when you hear it from a survivor, it's just, yeah, chills your blood. Uh, and he was the sweetest man. Um, and he said, you know, that they, they took the men into the barn. Has he died? You say he was the sweetest man. 
He died recently. Okay. Yeah, he died about you know a year or two ago. Oh. Lovely man. Um, and so they took men into case anybody. He only died because he uh, hid under the bodies of dead people and didn't make a noise, and mm. they they went on. And then uh, they took all the women and the children to the village church and they shut the door and threw in explosives and put it on fire. And then the same thing, they shot to it in case anybody survived. So only one woman survived that. And that was the climate down there. I mean, you know, it's just it's just tragic. And to this day, you know, when you go to our door, it's just, um, well, so I mean. What, what, is, you know, what is left as a memorial? Pardon me? What is left as a memorial? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. It's we're, it's breaking up a bit. Yeah, I say, what is left as a memorial to this event? Oh, uh, at Orador? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. You, you can walk through the entire village and see the burned buildings. It is so, uh, it's, it's just, um, you know, to, to, to walk through an entire village and with the burned cars and the burned uh, sewing machines and you know, it's like it's like uh, Pompeii. It's like stopped. Sure. Well, but what yeah, is, what so, is the nearest village of size that people might recognize? The town might would be Limoges. Oh, Limoges. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit, uh, kind of a little bit northwest, I guess, of the center yeah. of the of the Perigord. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit north. Mm -hmm. But it sounds it so, sounds like a place that that everyone should see. Uh, yes, it is. If you have unimaginable, any we can. It's almost like the Shoah. We talk about things that are unimaginable. Uh, yes, and then you've seen them, and it, they're still unimaginable. Sounds exactly. like very much the same kind of place. Uh, you you set this in the fictional town of uh, Sorignac. Uh, yes. What was the actual town that your family were living in? Oh well, uh, I'd rather not say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If I could keep that confidence. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I'll be entre nous. I, I won't. I won't spread the spread the word. But um, yeah, I very much had in mind that town, but it could be any. I mean, sure, you know, sure. You no, no. I, 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 yeah. I won't press you any further. I'll tell you know, no follow up question <laughs> yeah. on that one. Yeah, but it's totally fictionalized. Well, yeah. the uh, the book is, as I say, just published this this week, uh, and you obviously had, some, as I alluded in the beginning, some wonderful uh, feedback from some very well known writers, very respected writers. Uh, what is uh, have has it been read by uh, by friends, uh, civilians, if you will, and what is what is what has been your early feedback from people? Oh, I uh, it's, it is being read by friends now. Okay. Um, and I just got a, a wonderful review yesterday from a from a friend who read it. Mm -hmm. um, and the feedback is that it's a story that has everything, you know. It has love. It has tragedy. It has betrayal. It has the war, you know. It has a secret that you want to find out what the secret is. Um, and that, you know, they just... Uh, they just they just really liked it. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, and yeah. Uh, so what what is what do you have scheduled in terms of uh, here? Uh, obviously, nothing in America because we can't go there. But uh, well, yes. Oh yeah, no. I mean, no. The people in America can buy your book, but we can't go there. Or, or are you going there? Oh. Hello. He's and you know do the whole thing. But that, it wrecked that. So, um, I mean, there is no U.S. tour at this point. No, no. 
Well, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to uh, do some Zoom presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got about four set up. Okay. So, you know, that's... Well, be sure to let me know so that I can publish I publish them at the website paris-expat.com. Okay, okay, yeah, I will I will do that. Yeah. Sure. Al- uh, along with along with this uh this conversation. Uh have you scheduled anything with bookshops here in Paris? Uh no. No, you know, I got to tell you something. Uh when a book is available on Amazon, um people have a little tendency to shy away from taking um the books, although if I go to the stores with the books, mm-hmm. my books, I'm sure they might take them you know so i haven't done it yet so we'll i see if we say. can't do something about that i i yeah. will i will schmooze with our friend penelope over at the bookstore see if we right. can figure out some way to get some more attention for the book uh harry it's been great to catch up it's been far too long and uh, we need to sit down over uh, a glass of wine and some of that cheese that you used to serve when you did your your cheese tastings and yes. hopefully we'll catch up soon at one of the bookstores uh okay, stay safe good. uh thank you, you very you much too. and once again the thank book you. is Final Transgression, Harriet Welty Rochford. And uh, until next time, I am Terrence Galenta. Thanks, Terrence. Thank you. Thanks, Terrence. Bye-bye.